guys, it's Savvy Savs, and I have a special guest with me today. His name is Franco, and he's the host of Frank Analysis. Hi, Franco. Hi, Savvy. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming. So, Franco, before we get started, can you tell everyone a little bit about your background? Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not, I don't have like a big political background or anything. I'm just someone who would listen to political, uh, independent political channels for a couple of years, like two or three years. Uh, but I felt like there weren't enough voices that were that that were not driven too much by ego. There was there was a lot of there was a lot of big egos in independent media, and I feel like that was getting people distracted, people infighting. Um, so my goal was to get in, and even though I don't have a strong political background, I just learn as I go, and I show I can be an example for people uh, to show them they can start anywhere, and they can people can see the evolution um, as as time passes on. Uh, so I I want to bring people together. That's my goal. I want to bring people together. That's why I have panel discussions. I have my solo videos also, but I also have interviews on my channel. Um, and it's been great. I've, I've, I love this experience. Uh, informing people is my passion. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I like what I'm doing. Awesome. Cool. So quick question. Um, looking mm -hmm. back on things, like when would you say that you first became progressive and why did you decide to start Frank Analysis? Oh, it was um, in 2016. That's when I've, I learned about how there's money in politics uh, with Bernie Sanders um, with his message. Because before I was just, oh, I didn't care that much about politics. I was like, yeah, you know, the Democrats will take care of things. But then there's the Republicans that are holding them back. Um, I wasn't that I wasn't that informed. Um, and then after that, that piqued my curiosity to dig deeper and that explained things more. And that explained why we can't get things done. Um, as efficiently, like why we can't have universal health care, like what, because it, it's, it can't just be the Republicans that are holding things back. Like at one point we had the majority of, like the House had the majority of Democrats um, at one point during Obama's presidency. They also had the majority of, in the Senate, um, but then they, they didn't give us uh, universal health care. They gave us a right-wing health care plan. Um, so I was just I was just a casual listener uh, in 2016 at TYT until I disagreed with their decision to endorse Hillary Clinton. It just didn't make sense to me how you can be against the system, but then you're supporting a candidate that is defending the system. Um, and then I would listen to people like Jimmy Dore, Kyle Kalinske. Um, I found Nico House also, and I started listening to him. Um, but yeah, then the primary started and there was a lot of division within, within progressives when, um, about Tulsi Gabbard, about Bernie Sanders. Um, and I just felt that was a big distraction and I wanted to get in to try to, you know, help mitigate that distraction. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know for me during like Obama's second term, that was when I started to feel differently. Like the first ten, the first term, like I gave him a pass because I'm like he inherit, inherited like Bush's economy, so gave him a pass during that. But the second term, I was like, eh, you've had plenty of time now to make changes, yeah. and a lot of people, a lot of like 
Democrats at that time, I felt didn't really want to hear negative things about Obama. So I didn't really feel like I had a space where I could talk to people about those things. So independent media really helped me too. And like, speaking of that, um, so, you know, like there's been a lot of uh, suppressing leftist channels on YouTube. I know you have your, your situation. I've noticed it as well. I would say like about two years ago, if I went on YouTube and I typed in Bernie Sanders, leftist like media would appear. And yeah. last year was when I started to notice if I typed in his name, it was like CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. And all of a sudden it's like, I had to dig for those channels to try to find people and people just got buried like deep in the algorithm. Um, since your situation with YouTube, have you heard anything new or like recently from them about what they're gonna do in reference to your channel? Well, I'm afraid to reach back out to them because the first thing that they hit me with was a warning about a video that failed to stream and that I had already deleted because it failed to stream and it wasn't showing anything. Um, like I was supposed, I was, I was attempting to stream with a group of my friends, um, Jackson Hinkle and Colin and Ricky Rance, two of which have their own channels. The other one is wants to develop his own channel. And we were going to talk about the next steps of force to vote. And that day I was just having internet connections. I guess I, I, I think I, I figured out in the end that I had too many files and I had to like move some to another hard drive, but what happened? I, it just failed to stream. It failed to stream. And I, we had to reschedule uh, for the next day. And that video that was just pure black because there was nothing there because, you know, internet connections, it, it failed to stream. I deleted that. And then like two weeks later, it was like two or three weeks later, YouTube messaged me and they said they're giving me a warning for a video for, for that for that video. It, it was it was so ridiculous. They said I was spamming and that I was sent, I was uh, trying to um, what's the word like uh, con people. Uh, I don't know. I, are they saying that because of my Rockfin link or my Patreon link that I had at the time or my PayPal? that they were saying I was directing people to another source. And I, I, I tried to appeal that I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm just this, I deleted this video because it failed the stream. I shouldn't be punished for having internet connections. And then they, also, they said they'll reach back in like two to three days. And then after two to three days, I see that they messaged me and I was like, okay, hopefully this is some good news and that they're removing that warning because after that warning, then they get a strike. And then with that strike, then I can't stream for like a week. I can't post content for a week. Um, and then eventually that leads to me getting demonetized and eventually my, my, uh, my channel getting removed. But then I open the email up and they say that I'm demonetized now. And they didn't tell me like for what videos it was. They just said that um, I've, I've uh, violated their terms and agreements, like the, the community guidelines. They didn't tell me which videos they were. They told me to review them myself and to delete videos. So they just wanted to me to guess, like go through all my videos and just randomly delete videos. Um, and then they said that I could be re-monetized after a month. But I'm just afraid to reach back because the last time I reached back, they, they, they replied to me with something worse <laughs> than what I already had. And they didn't remove my warning. Um, so, so yeah, there's that. I have not, I have not heard back from them on whether I'll be re-monetized or not. Uh, there is an article on Fox News that was talking about me as well as 
a bunch of other people that got demonetized that same day, we received the same email at the same time at 2.18 p.m. Uh, Nico House, The Combo Couch, Jamarl Thomas, Ford Fisher, Ford Fisher who got remonetized, but then uh, something else happened and he still got some more videos removed. There's other channels that are getting their videos removed and there's no transparency to it. Um, it's, they, they make it impossible for independent media uh, who are doing a much better job, like people like yourself, you're doing a much better job than mainstream media is doing in informing people. They just want to keep people in the dark is what I think. Yeah, like, I mean, I noticed like once Biden won, things started to change because not even just like with people like getting demonetized, but I also noticed some of the progressive channels were now starting to change their tune and saying Whoa. things like, so for example, Bernie, like trying to put forth like near Tandon, I think most of us were against that. Uh, the squad, like not forcing the vote. And all of a sudden, some of those same people, it's like their talking points started to change. It was like, well, no, this is the right thing to do. We need to be happy that we got something. And I'm like, what is happening here? Like, <laughs> like whose side yeah. are you on? It, it feels like it's self-censoring because they're afraid to get their channel removed. Um, and I, to that, I say, you have, you can't be afraid of that. Um, and some, some of them are, are don't e aren't even on Rockfin. So they think that the only place they can be at is YouTube. Like I know Kyle Kalinsky and the Humanist Report, David, though, they're not on other platforms. They're only on YouTube. Uh, Jimmy Dore is also a little shy about Rockfin. Um, he doesn't promote it as much. Um, if only he, he knew how much, you know, more proportionally he gets paid on Rockfin than on YouTube. I, I had 10% of the followers that I did on, on Rockfin at, a, at the time when I was monetized on YouTube and I was getting paid more proportionally than I was on YouTube. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just the, I, some of these people are just so used to YouTube and they think that that's the only place where they can deliver the news. Uh, but there's other places out there and you can make a backup channel. Like if YouTube takes down your channel, like, so what? you can have a backup channel there and you can tell people to subscribe there. And then they, you just keep playing that game. Like if YouTube deletes your channel, you just move on to another channel. Cause I know, I understand that we want to reach normies that don't know that these other platforms like Rockfin and Odyssey exist, but we got to get the word out. I mean, YouTube is going to be censoring us and we can't conform to self-censor ourselves. Otherwise we're not going to be informing the public to the fullest that they need to be informed during a time where they really need to be informed with all these things that are happening right now. The corporate elite are becoming more powerful. Um, so yeah, we can't, we can't afford to self-censor ourselves. We're doing the system a favor if we do. Right. No, I agree. Um, in, in reference to um, something you mentioned, you, you had a show where you did I think the title was called like hero worshiping hero worshiping is oh, yeah. um number one like thanks so much for doing that i've been feeling that way for a long time um do you think that 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 has something to do with this too because i have noticed like some people or certain platforms if they say things that we all know like is leftist like no that's not cool or that's wrong people won't call them out on it yeah, some some people built off, built their channel off of praising uh, Bernie Sanders or praising AOC as these people that are going to, you know, 
be powerhouses in Congress and they're going to pass progressive policies um, and legislation. And they're, they built, they, they, they helped build these politicians a fan base and these, that fan base is subscribed to these channels. So I think some of them are fans themselves or others are, they, they understand the criticisms, but they're afraid to go too hard at uh, Bernie Sanders or the squad because they're afraid of losing their audience. Um, I, you shouldn't be afraid of that. Like if you're a content creator and that's how you built your platform at one point by praising politicians, you shouldn't be afraid to hold them accountable because you want them to improve. You're doing a disservice to the people that you, you know, that you consider a fan or that your audience considers a fan because then they're going to become more and more establishment politicians. And that's pretty much what we're seeing with AOC and the rest of the squad and Bernie Sanders. They're defending the system. They're not using their leverage to pass progressive legislation. They're defending um, the establishment machine by endorsing Biden without asking for anything in return. And if you're going to be defending these politicians who are doing that, you're, you're doing a disservice to the community. You're doing a disservice to working class people. You're giving people a false sense of, of uh, victory by thinking, oh, we have these people there now. Like, but, but what are they doing, though? Like there's millions of people that are losing their jobs, losing their health care. And these people voted for the CARES Act, the biggest upward transfer of wealth in history. They voted for uh, the HEROES Act. Um, they, they were celebrating that stimulus that barely was even a stimulus. Um, they never talk about imperialism. They never call out imperialism. Um, and so your job should be to inform the public as much as you can. And I don't see these people doing that. They're, they're afraid to do it because they're afraid to lose audience members. I don't know if that's what you, you think also. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way. I have noticed that. So first of all, like I was unsubscribed from some channels and I didn't do that. <laughs> so I know oh, yeah. that that was like a YouTube thing. Like that's the other thing, like you will remove people from you and you're like, what the, so I, I did notice like after Biden, some people did start to lose like subs. Um, part of that could have just been YouTube. Part of that could have just been people being like, nope, I don't like what you're saying anymore. So I'm out. And then I think some people just after Trump, they're just like, I don't want to deal with politics anymore. So they could have removed themselves like because of that. Um, but no, I've, I've, I've noticed it too. I, I hate it when people won't call things out. Like you can't just sit back and say, okay, well, I'm going to try to like walk the line um, so that I can keep the people that I have when you haven't been walking the line all this time before when you were speaking out against establishment, you were speaking out against people not doing what they're supposed to do. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, no, I wanna sit in a safe spot and I'm not gonna call people out because I'm afraid of what's gonna happen. That's actually not being progressive. That's being in the middle. And, and that's like what is more and more of what I'm starting to see. And it's just, it's disappointing and it's frustrating. Yeah, it's like they're being like the mainstream news, like they're they're gaslighting their audience. Like the reason why people subscribe to them, they forget is because they were doing a better job than the mainstream news. Um, but they, they begin to, again, they're, they're, def if they're defending politicians and these politicians are defending uh, corporate politicians, then 
they're indirectly defending corporations if they're doing that. Um, and it's, it's dishonest if you're doing that. Like they, pe people trust you. People, people trust that you're delivering them the truth. Um, but if you're going to be gaslighting them so you can defend politicians and you know, you're, you're not any, you're not any better than mainstream news then. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Like I know that, um, I was really excited about the squad. Like I, I just thought, wow, we have like a good amount, a handful of people that are really going to push and fight for things in Congress now. And the perfect opportunity for them to do that was during like force the vote because there was something at stake there. Like Nancy Pelosi was up for a speaker again and they chose not to do it. And I got a little upset too, because I felt like, you know, Cori Bush and Jamal Bowman had kind of teased to mainstream media that they kind of weren't going to, they hinted kind of towards that. And then that day came and they went ahead and like voted for her anyway. I'm just like, again, what was the point? Like, like what was the point of having you go there if you're just gonna do what the Democrats do? Exactly, yeah, what, it, what is the point? They're just, they're just like any other politician at that point. Um, yeah, these, these people need to be calling them out. I mean, and then they're not asking, they're not promoting any direct action either. A lot of these bigger channels, uh, like even like I, I got a lot of hate from people when I was criticizing Jimmy Dore the other way. I will say here again, I, I care about Jimmy Dore. I think his voice is important. Um, but when there is events like forced to vote happening in DC, then he should be promoting that more. Like we were on the ground, we were outside of Congress urging them to force the vote um, and to with, withhold their vote from Nancy Pelosi as speaker. Um, but there was, there was barely any people that were talking about actions that, are hap that, that were happening down there in DC on the ground. Um, and then during, also I'll say that during the telethon that uh, Jen Perlman and Katie Halper did, I'm glad that they brought on some really big voices on there to talk about Julian Assange but they didn't bring on any of the on the ground activists there. They didn't bring on any of the people from, from Action for Assange. They didn't bring on uh, some of the big voices like uh, uh, Steve Poikinen from Slow Newsday or Glory Jones also on Slow Newsday who have a platform and who are also activists who are on the ground. They didn't bring on Fiorella or Pasta from the Combo Couch who have a bigger platform than, than Slow Newsday to talk about what's happening. Like we, we have to put pressure right there at the heart of DC and that's where we were. And they're barely talking about it. Um, they need to, they, this is how, cause there's some people that don't even know that it's happening. But if you have a platform like how Katie Halper and Jen Perlman have, and you're doing this big event, don't you wanna let more people know in the country so they can at least support it so that they can at least donate to the to the protest that's happening so that they can spread the message even further and get more people on the ground. Um, it, it was really disappointing to see that. Yeah, um, we definitely need more activists like involved. I, I do try to interview as many, like a lot of activists because of that. Cause I have noticed that you don't see them as much like on, on a lot of platforms and they're the ones that are actually on the ground like really doing the work. Yeah. Um, I know that you've been pretty vocal about movement for a people's party. 
So mm -hmm. in the beginning, when I heard about MPP, I was very excited. I was like, yay, finally a party for the people. Mm -hmm. This is going to be. Uh. Yeah. And then all this stuff came out and I was like, what? What, what was the first thing you heard about Movement for a People's Party that gave you that reaction? So, so the first thing that I heard was that people were using the N-word like in a mm. chat room. That was the first thing I heard. I saw it on Twitter. And then I was like, let me look into this. And then I watched like other videos and I kind of went down a rabbit hole. But um, I, I was just like, what the heck? Like, why isn't the leadership like responding to this or taking care of this? And for the record, anyone watching and listening to this, I do want to say it is never, never, never okay for a white person to use that word. I just want to make that very clear. I don't know where this trend came from, where it started, because I've seen people doing it on Twitter too. It is not okay. So you can tell people you heard it from me. It just is what it is. But that whole situation like blew my mind. I was mm -hmm. floored. Um, it seems like the leadership is hiding I know you reached out to them. I know other people reached out to them. I just, I'm just shocked. Me too. Me too. I had a, like a lot of people, like myself included, had a lot of hopes for Movement for People's Party because we know that the Democrats and Republicans are not representing us and they're bought off by corporations and they're really one party and they agree on war. They agree on imperialism. They agree on making Wall Street more powerful, even if they give like their, their, their rhetoric that they're that they that they're against Wall Street or they're gonna be hard on Wall Street, but then they do the opposite when they're in office. And so we were like, okay, we finally have this party that's not just, you know, it's not because when some people hear like the Green Party or Libertarian Party, some people who are like on the other side or who don't fall into a libertarian ideology or a, a green ideology, they get turned off by that. But we need to come together. Everybody who's against the current system that we have and wants a more representative government need to come together and you know join for a third party to take down the establishment with the focus of getting money out of politics and other issues that we can all agree on. Um, people on the right, people on their left agree on um, getting out of all these wars. Uh, there's many other things that we can agree on too. Um, so that's what I thought that we were going to get with Movement for a People's Party. But then when I started looking more closely, they don't have any foreign policy experts on there. Uh, the only big thing that they ever accomplished was that convention where they had a lot of big voices on. Um, but a little bit after that, when I when I really started to notice that there's problems there, it's because I was, I was holding on some home. I was like, okay, maybe it'll improve. But then I heard from uh, my friend, Ed Lee, who's DJ Elf7, who I understand he has like a ridiculous style and all. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of, of uh, DJ Elf7, mm -hmm. uh, but he's an, he's an honest guy. Um, so he told me that he wanted to get Julian Assange's name on their platform and on their website. And then he was telling me that he asked them that they should put it up for a vote like people should vote uh on whether they should have julian assange's name on the front of the website and on the platform and should be working more closely with activists who are fighting for uh freeing julian assange and then he later got kicked out of the movement and then a couple months later 
uh, we see some more stuff that happens. Uh, these there was a petition. There was a petition by people like the people who I had on my panel who are asking for more transparency in their finances because uh, Movement for a People's Party is a 501c4. And there's not, there's not much transparency on where the money that people are donating or it's going to and also where their money is coming from. Like we want a party that's going to function more for the people, right? It's a people's party and to function differently from the current machine that we have. Um, they, were, they were also asking for more competence from leadership. Um, and then a lot of these people got kicked out. Like you also mentioned uh, the, the, the N-word thing that, that was happening on their Slack and on their Discord. There were black women that were calling it out and there was other people that were defending them saying that that's not right. And then it was the black women who got kicked out of the Slack and the Discord and were kicked out of the organization saying that they were being too hostile. There's no evidence that I've seen that shows that they were being too hostile. Um, and like what, what events have, has Movement for a People's Party done ever since that convention on the ground? They did that one event a little bit before that where they were outside of uh, Congress people's house. Like they went outside of Nancy Pelosi's house and outside of Chuck Schumer's house. Um, but there wasn't that many people that went. But if you're going to be a third party that's going to unify all these different people, especially during this time, like during the, the quarantine, during this pandemic where people are losing their jobs, their healthcare and everything, um, where the corporations are becoming more rich, they should be turning the country upside down. They should be organizing events all around the country and I'm not seeing that. Um, so there's just a clear incompetence there and this has to be, that people need to hear from these volunteers who are not only seeing the incompetence and asking for improvements, but we're also being mistreated by the leadership. Right. And the only thing I was seeing was some of these bigger channels that were only bringing on Nick Brana or only bringing on Annalise Garcia who are in positions of leadership. They're gonna give a biased perspective. Like these channels are supposed to be fighting for working class people and they're not bringing on these ex-volunteers. Uh, so I brought them on and I also reached out to leadership and they didn't respond to me. So what that tells me is that, that it seems like they're trying to hide something. They don't wanna be challenged with difficult questions. And you know what make, how does that make them any better than the Democratic Party? Oh, that's a good point, that's true. It's just such a disappointment because I feel like this was really like our chance to have something strong like mm -hmm. third party wise that was bringing everybody together and then it's just you have to be willing to when you run an organization you have to be willing to you know stand up for what's right even if it's something that's uncomfortable that you don't want to talk about if you have like issues that happen in your organization such as people using like the n-word you have to be able to take that on and to deal with it. You can't just run and hide. Mm -hmm. um, it's just it's just so unfortunate. Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen from here, but I've I've seen some of the like videos from the volunteers, and every time I watch one, I hear more stuff, and I'm just like, oh my gosh. Oh yeah, there's a lot of stuff. It's not enough to fit in like a one hour interview. <laughs> 
like I'm, I'm really glad that other people are stepping up, like people with smaller channels and even some people with bigger channels are, are bringing on these volunteers and asking to hear from their stories. Like they all have their own unique um, experiences with MPP and how they failed them. Um, for example, Joe Charest, she was, she wanted more representation from, for the um, disability community. She said she wanted there to be more closed captioning and uh, people who, you know, perform sign languages when they're, when they are, uh, when they do their videos and they didn't want to take her ideas. And she was suggesting like, I've had experience with this before. Like you can just ask like a local college or a local high school and they'll do it for, for not that much money or sometimes they'll even volunteer and do it. Um, Renee was also, Renee Johnston from New York was was expressing the difficulties of getting ballot access in New York because in every state it's difficult mm -hmm. um, and it's different and they they were not listening to her and still they don't have a clear plan or de or, or any details on how they're going to gain ac ballot access in New York um, and it's it's the same with a lot of these other states where they haven't got got ballot access yet like there there's so many like also Steve Coleman who said that. He was trying to run locally and he wasn't gaining any support from movement for a people's party that they were saying that they're going to focus more nationally and it's just there's just no clear path there the biggest thing though that i think that they really need to acknowledge is the lack of activism for for um election integrity because we like you and i know right that third parties they make the 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 establishment makes it impossible for them to to win um so they need people that really understand the systemics behind our election uh system and we really need to be pushing applying public pressure to have more transparency with our election system and they don't have that um, so yeah, it's all these different things, all these different experiences that people are expressing that shows that movement for a people's party is incompetent, unfortunately. Wow. Now I know that um, you also posted a show uh, recently about Andrew Yang running in, in New York, how he might be problematic. This is interesting because when he first announced that he was running for mayor, a lot of people were like, yay, this is a great, this is gonna be great, Andrew Yang is mayor. And then talking to other people who live in New York and are from New York, they were the ones that were telling me like, well, the person that people should be voting for is Diane Morales. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how do you feel about, because Andrew Yang is winning in the polls right now in New York. Yeah, I don't know too much about that. I'm actually going to research more because I'm going to have um, Matt Sick Skidmore, or I can't remember exactly how to pronounce his last name, but he's an Andrew Yang uh, supporter and channel on my show. Mm -hmm. And I'm also going to have Ricky, uh, Ricky Rance, who was in my show um, discussing in that video that we were that you just mentioned about how, and how Andrew Yang is a problem. Um, so I'm going to prepare for that because I'm going to be listening to both sides. Uh, but from what I've been hearing is that Andrew Yang is really supportive of smart cities and automation in New York, which is really problematic. Like, and that's something that he was running against 
when he was running for president, he was warning about automation and how we really need to implement UBI to help people. Um, but I mean, if you're going to be for these smart cities, what are you there? Uh, there's like, there's no concrete plan for how you're going to compensate for that, for, for people losing their jobs with automation. Like he's not implementing the same UBI that he was uh, suggesting when he was running for president. He's suggesting now $2,000 a year in, in, in stimulus in New York. That's nothing. Right. He was saying $2,000 a month when he was running for president. Um, and I think that in New York, 2000, and also during, during the pandemic, I don't think $2,000 a month is enough. Um, the standard of living there is really, really high. Um, but yeah, this is something that I'm going to look into more before I do another show on this, uh, which will be on Wednesday. Okay, cool. Yeah, I can tell you, even here in Boston, they've already started some of the automation stuff and it's just not causes people to like lose their jobs who have been in those jobs for a long time. Um, I'm talking like decades, they've already started that here. And so it's basically become a city where tech startup, healthcare, education, but even with education, they're starting to cut back on things. It's like if you're not in those fields, it's, it's going to be difficult for you because of the changes that they're implementing here. So it's, I, I'm not like, don't get me wrong. I'm not anti-technology, but right. you have to find a way to find jobs for those people that are going to be replaced or, or teach them how to use the equipment, how to use the machines exactly. and stuff like that. Just don't just kick people aside and say, okay, machines taking over your jobs now. Cause I can tell you, if I go to the grocery store right now down the street, there's a machine in the grocery store that does all the inventory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I'm not, I'm not against technology either. It's going to benefit our society in the end. Uh, we can use technology to help um, improve our environment too. Um, but we can't just leave people without any compensation. Um, if their jobs are going to be replaced with automation, you know, we're supposed to be taking care of our people. That's what comes first. But with the system that we have, this capitalist system that we have, profit matters more to these capitalists than, you know, people's well-being. And mm. it's, it's really unfortunate that we're really seeing like the worst of capitalism during this uh, pandemic. Yeah, um, I can see that as someone who works in higher ed, I can even see it with students, with majors. We have students graduating from colleges with majors that they could have gotten jobs in a couple years ago, and now they're graduating from, from college and they can't get a job mm -hmm. in that field because the field is like almost non-existent now yeah. um, because of automation and things like that. Some of these liberal arts colleges, even here in Massachusetts, have closed um, because they just can't they can't find jobs like within those areas. So it, it is problematic. Yeah, it makes no sense how like uh, college is more expensive now. Um, but and then when you get out of college, it's even harder to find a job now than it used to be. Like at that point, like you should, you should either you should reduce the cost of college or just make it completely free. Um, like, again, like you're supposed to be taking care of people, like you're and, and it, it's also an investment into the society. You have more smart people. 
you help them find jobs, the productivity increases, um, and then our society improves. But again, like they're, that's not their interest. Like the, these capitalists, their interest is not in people's well-being; it's in profit. Which, um, in the long run, long term, it's kind it's counterproductive. Like mm -hmm. you're destroying the people that are going to buy your products, right? Like yeah. How are they going to buy the, the goods that you're trying to produce? Exactly. Now I hear you. All right, Franco, I have one more question for you. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think the left needs to do in order to win? In order to win, the left needs to be more open-minded. Don't be so arrogant. There's so many, there's a lot of arrogant people on the left, unfortunately. Be open to be acknowledge that you don't know everything. Um, don't be so dismissive of, of, of topics that you don't want to talk about it. Hear it out. Ask questions so you can learn more about it and understand. Uh, promote online community building. The more you promote that, the more that your community will grow, the more people will meet, the more information will be exchanged. Uh, the more that the more objective people will be because some people may be believing something or may not know that certain outlets exist. And then when they're interacting with the online community, they find out about um, other sources out there. Like they find out about Black Agenda Report. They find out about The Last American Vagabond or Mimpress News or Gray Zone. They find out about other voices that are delivering the news, talking about foreign policy, talking about civil liberties. And then they also find people who live near them. And then they find out about act, um, uh, activist events that are happening near them. Um, so that's what I, like, that's what I would uh, tell people is promote online community building as much as you can, because that will translate to on the ground communities that will pressure um, our system where it needs to be pressured in events that can happen in DC and events that can happen outside of Silicon Valley or can happen in New York outside of Wall Street. We really need to grow our community. We really need to unite as much as we can and also to not be so dismissive of people who are um, in other, other points in their path towards political awakening. Like, please be patient. Like, remember that at one point you were also not as informed as you are now about politics and understand that there's some people that were brought up differently than you that develop different ideologies. And that's a result of the brainwashing that we have of our system. Like the, some of these right-wingers, they see some truths in the faults in our system. They, they want to break out of the system that we have because it's also destroying them. It's also oppressing them. So don't dismiss them. Don't just call them names. Like that, how is that going to help the left? We want to open their minds and convert them. So hear them out, understand why they think the way that they do and share with them information. If some of them are just too um, ridiculous or they're too close-minded, then, oh, well, just move on to the next one. You, there's more of a chance that you will meet someone that is open, that will be open to hearing this information from you than people who are just going to be completely ridiculous. And again, if they're going to be ridiculous and they're going to be uh, closed and don't want to listen to you, then just move on to somebody else. Um, that, that would be my advice, is just to be more open-minded, uh, 
uh, promote online community building and spread the information as much as you can. Uh, we're trying to increase our collective consciousness. Well said. All right, guys, I'll be sure to put all of Franco's links in the description below. Franco, thanks so much for coming today. Savvy, thank you very much for having me on. You asked great questions. Thanks for listening. You can watch the video of this podcast at Savvy Sab's channel on YouTube.